It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Hey, Teresa, favorite part of last weekend? I have to say, my favorite part doing the meals. Oh, I'm just fun. loving that. I loved that so many people donated food. Yeah. I loved that my mother-in-law happened to be in town with everybody being vaccinated. We got to get together. That's nice. Got to head to my sister's house. So I know she was super pumped to get to meet you. Oh, she it, was nice. like- <laughs> it was nice to meet her. Yeah. So I have to say, once again, doing the meals. That was fun. And was I think fun. we did 86 lunches, which, which I thought was so fun. Crazy amazing. Yeah. Because it took us what? By the time we got that going and like every lunch has to have a sandwich or a bar. Right. Fruit. Fruit. Chips. Chips. Cheese. Water and a cheese drink. Yeah. So um, all of them had that and we banged over 80 out in yeah. less than an hour. Right. So I can't wait till next time. I know. Me too. I know maybe we overuse the word heroes. However, I found these two stories of people here locally in Portland, Oregon, who are really helping those in need, and in my mind are hometown heroes. I heard about a group of moms who stepped in to provide lunches due to the scorching hot temperatures a few weeks back. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, it forced a number of places to shut down and canceling the free lunch program mm. in Portland. The schools, they didn't have the AC. Right. No. So LaQuisha Miniweather is the organizer of MXM Block, who decided to make sure kids and families were fed. As LaQuisha said, MXM Block is a group of black moms. We're out taking care of the community, folks like us, black and brown families, and other families that need assistance. It's going to make me teary. I know. And boy, did they come through. Her group of moms handed out over 1,000 free lunches to students across five parks in the, <laughs> in the Portland metro area. I, mean, I was they, just saying I was excited for our 86. <laughs> yeah, and they mustered through that sweltering heat and really provided for the community. It's just so awesome. I checked out their Facebook page, and they're doing a lot of other amazing work. Their primary mission is supporting the food justice, equitable housing and education and health care, and just general love and support to the black community. I just think these women rock. Way to be positive. Yeah, for sure. Another incredible individual I came across, and we both kind of came across him, is that Aiden Ionis. He's a 16-year-old from oh, Mountain Side. Something. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So this uh, young man has a passion for community service, and he has volunteered like Sunshine Pantry, Habitat for Humanity, and other places. But this last April, he really wanted to do something for the homeless. And so he started this Giving Bags project where he's donating snacks and hygiene products to those living on the streets of Portland. And I, but the cool thing is I love that each bag includes another bag inside of it. It contains the same thing, the snacks and hygiene mm-hmm. bag. And it just says, give to a friend. Oh, so they can pay it forward, yeah. too. Yeah, I just love it. It's just a nice way to spread kindness and love. And Well, I know, love that he's a young person because I, yeah. I I know you had talked to me about it. But right. I was going through Instagram or something when, and my son popped over and just put him on my page yeah. as a follow because he knew I would love him. And I love that he's he's done like a GoFund. I mean, he's, he's yeah. using technology to bring more help in. Right. I think it's just fantastic. I was so inspired by the hearts 
of these individuals. It kind of reminded me of a quote of Mother Teresa. I think we might have even said it previously. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and action is service. I think Judy commented Judy. on that. Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. Judy commented so, on that. Yeah, I love that. Anyways, we'll put uh, information about these organizations on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Awesome. Since this month's theme is the Olympics, I was going to do Michael Phelps. Mm-hmm. Now, I started watching him back during the Athens game in 2004. That was his second Olympics. Let's face it, he's a pretty incredible yeah. athlete. Yeah. I mean, the most decorated Olympian with 28 medals. Plus, he broke Mark Spitz's 1972 record of winning seven Olympic medals in one Olympic game. Michael won eight in Athens. He's incredibly yeah. gifted and talented, but his work, I read one of his books uh, yeah. years ago, and he is a very hard worker. Takes naps it, yeah. in between his workouts, well, but he, you know, he needs that for recovery. Right. But yeah. Besides being such a fantastic athlete, he's done a lot for the sport. Early in his career, he met Ian Thorpe, an Australian Olympian, mm-hmm. and he was really inspired by his high profile in Australia. And wanted to make swimming mainstream in the U.S. So Michael, his personality and his all his medals, he secured sponsors and ads comparable to like an NBA star, which is pretty cool because it has brought a lot of popularity yeah, to, to the that sport. sport that wasn't popular. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, it's not, not been not a, a cool pop- sport. Exactly. Yeah. And I admire his incredible commitment, work ethic, mm-hmm. as well as his love for his family, especially for his mom and two sisters. Mm -hmm. He's pretty sweet. There's a lot about that. But all that being said, I was so psyched to research him. And I changed my mind when I was at the library with my youngest. I was looking in the biography section, and I came across the book Proud by Abit Tahaj Muhammad. What's so funny is that I probably was buying the book at the same exact time. Oh! (laughs) I bought it. Yeah, so this will be good. Yeah, Abit Tahaj is the first American... Muslim to compete in the Olympics with a hijab. Uh, hijab is a religious veil worn by Muslim women in the presence of any male outside of their immediate family, which usually covers their hair, head, and chest. It also represents Muslim women's commitment to their Islamic standards of modesty. I just fell in love with her story. I mean, she's truly a beautiful person on the inside and out, and I just love her warm smile. But the book cover says it all, Living My American Dream. Abit Tahaj grew up in Maplewood, New Jersey. She's one of five children. She's the middle. And I enjoyed reading this early story of her checking out track in elementary school. Because of her customs and faith, she had to cover her body. So she was wearing leggings, her high job. And it was a super hot day on the race day. And her dad sweetly offers some advice. He's like, it's going to be hot today. If it hurts to breathe, you can stop. And so Abit Tahaj prayed before the race to survive the heat. She sprang out of the blocks, ran the first 200 out of, it was an 800 race. And then when the heat was overwhelming, she remembered her dad's advice. And she looked at her mom and sister in the stands and ran over to them. And her mom was not happy. She was asking her what she's doing. Her brother chimed in, you were winning, you know. And she felt embarrassed. And her mom told her, you have to work for the win, even if it hurts. And Abit Taj, I think she realized it's going to take work. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to let her mom down again. But that lesson really stuck with her. But I can relate to that. I mean, even personally, when I'm first trying out a sport, but even with my own kids. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of kids know what it's like to work out or work hard. And those They want to instantly be good. They don't want to work to learn something. Exactly. 
I can frustrated right away. I can remember Lucy doing track the first time and waving <laughs> at me in the stands. And I mean, I love that, but I mean, I just, I understand, I totally get it. Spence was doing um, T ball and oh, he yeah. was back in the field and he just kept going further and further <laughs> and further back. And pretty soon he's back on the swing. Oh, and he's playing. just swinging. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I think that's part of the lesson. Yeah. So you only did it once. Yeah. yeah. And then they, they figure it out. <laughs> You know, I guess that's, I think that's pretty common, like I said, with sports. But for, for Abit Tahaj, it was hard fitting into school. Classmates often made fun of her asking why she's wearing a tablecloth on her head. I mean, kids can be so mean. She didn't understand why it was such a big deal to others wearing a hijab, which is a sign of her faithfulness to Allah. Her parents placed a, a high value on academics and sports. This is, I found, so interesting. Part of their academic expectation in middle school during the summer, she attended New Jersey Institute of Technology and the University of Medicine and Dentistry. So these courses were targeted. In middle school. In middle school. So these courses were specifically targeted to high-achieving black and Latino children. The idea behind these programs was to get minority children on a college prep track Mm. as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I just love this, but... These courses help with academic advancement, time management, and public speaking, which is really awesome. But this is where Abit Tahaj started to realize beyond excellent grades, a sport really could offer the scholarship. Yeah. I'm just so impressed. Especially impre- with five kids. In with the five family. kids. She, and her know. dad was a police officer and her mom was a teacher. So yeah. I just admire her. She was so driven at a mm-hmm. young age. Prior to attending high school, her mom, her mom's like a little researcher. She found <laughs> out that the local high school had a fencing team. And I, I just love how she researched that. But just to give a background a little bit about the sport, fencing was featured in the first modern Olympic Games in Athens in 1896. It was originally a male sport until 1924. Like everything. Games, yeah, in Paris <laughs> when women competed. But best of all, the uniform for fencing completely covered. So Abitaj would be honoring her faith, and yet she'd fit in, you know, mm-hmm. which was really not now, which was super important to her. And it's cute. She tried to encourage a few friends to join her checking out the fencing team, but they chickened out. I just love that she just walked in and joined the mm-hmm. team. Girl power. Girl right power, there. totally. Her high school fencing team was made of 100 students and only seven minorities. But I'm surprised they had 100. They, it's a big, it was, mm. it's one of like the biggest, I think it's known in the United States okay. that it's one of the biggest. And it's supposed to be known for its diversity. I mm-hmm. point that out because it really wasn't that diverse, but... Yeah, seven out of a hundred. I know, <laughs> I know. And t- it's typically tends to be a white-dominated sport. So she started with an epe, but I didn't know anything about fencing prior to reading her book. So a quick over, epe is one of the three types of swords mm-hmm. used for fencing. There's, It's heavier than the foil and the saber, which are the other two types of swords. A competition between two fencers is, um, is when a score is capped, and that's called a bout. The strip is the playing area in fencing. Each fencer has to fence three bouts, one against each of the members of the other team in the same weapon. And whoever scores five points wins the bout, and the first school to win 14 bouts wins the meet. So she loved that they trained as a team. If someone was late, all had to run the 10 sprints. I, I think that's great. They won and lost together, and best of all, everyone's treated equally. Uh, shortly after starting with the Epe, her coach challenged her to try the Sabre. The Sabre is a lot faster and more aggressive than the Epe. It was awkward at first to hold the Sabre. She quickly found the speed of it. And her parents were super supportive because I, I think it was more money to move to a different mm-hmm. weapon. But her mom drove her to meets, and her first Junior Olympics didn't go well. 
and she encouraged Abit Tahaj, you know, by saying, you've only been doing the saber for a few months. And then Abit Tahaj was, oh, maybe I'll get a tutor. But I loved how her mom encouraged her to stay and watch the others fence and take notes. And such an awesome learning opportunity, which is an activity that she actually carried throughout her fencing career. Again, running with Abit Taj's idea for a fencing tutor, her mom found a club, Peter Westbrook Foundation in New York City. They took a 45-minute train ride to check out this foundation where she found coaches and fencers that look like her, which I think was really neat. It was a more diverse group. Well, and her mom is just so involved. So involved. I just love it. Yeah. You were winning. Her mom is so sweet. Yeah. She even recognized like some other uh, Olympic fencers. But she worked out there during the summer of her junior year. And, you know, high school was tough because she was taking AP courses and maintaining. Well, she was taking those courses in middle school school, during summer. And maintaining the straight A average and fencing. But all it paid off, she got a scholarship to Duke. Which is a big Which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And after, you know, she per, she was on the fencing team, but after a year and a half, you know, she didn't really make any friends on the fencing team Aww. except one boy, which is sad, Josh. And, she, you know, she notes that at this point in her life, it's okay to have a male friend, you know, it's acceptable spiritually. But she was trying to find that balance in college of fencing, studies, and social, li- social life. Um, she made some nice friends, but everyone wanted to go to parties, and that wasn't really in line with her spiritual beliefs. So she got involved with the Muslim group on campus. She would do things that are more acceptable to her faith. I just admire throughout everything. It's, she's just really, you know, respects her faith. She, yeah. knows, she knows who she is. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think that's really cool. By the time she graduated from Duke, she felt confident and comfortable with who she was as a black American woman and as a Muslim American woman. And so she had taken a break from fencing her senior year and now graduated. She thought she was done with fencing. But well, it got her through college. It got her so through college. Yeah. yeah. And then so she's interested in going to law school. So she's studying for her LSAT and she's trying to get a job at a firm focused on international business in Middle East and Europe and around the world. And she thought it'd be great fit for her um, where she could use her Arabic. But surprisingly, the job interview uh, didn't go well. The man who interviewed her really was really focused on her high job, wondering if she'd fit in, which I it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Needless to say, she didn't get the job. And this, she kind of goes through a down period where she's living at home and working at the dollar store. I mean, Aww. you know, she's a smart yeah. person. And, yeah. you know, but that her, just goes to show always be nice to the people at the dollar store, not because right. you, know, you just should be nice, but don't make assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Her younger sister, Fayeza, has started fencing too. And so she's like, comes home from school and is like, you should go check out the coach. So, Abitaj went and got caught up with him, and they started kind of fencing, and he was, like, blown away. He's like, you've never fenced like that before. You really have what it takes to go all the way, meaning the Olympics. Like, I I don't think Mm -hmm. she'd gotten that kind of, you know, accolades, Mm -hmm. you know, or even that kind of compliment. You know, she was just like, whoa. So she went back to the foundation in New York City and began training, where she was paired with a new coach at the foundation. And then it was like the level of competition was a lot more steep than in college. Right. So by 2009, she stood on the podium for the U.S. Nationals with a gold medal around her neck and kind of put her on track to for the national team. Meanwhile, she's still working at the dollar store and a substitute teacher. I mean, she has to so pay for training. she's a busy girl. Yeah. Well, I just found so amazing. She never gives up. A year later, she made the national team and would be representing the U.S. at the Fencing World Championship in 2010. She had some significant challenges, and it's really sad in the book to read about how her 
two teammates treat her. I mean, it's a really, the fencing team's small. It's only like Mm -hmm. three. I mean, she would try to make friends with them, Mm -hmm. like, you know, invite them out at dinners or watch movies after competitions, but they really just excluded her and her coach. So I think that would have been really hard. But although she, you know, worked really hard and was on track to make the 2012 Olympics, it's kind of out of her control because that year the women's saber team event at the Olympics, it was only the individual event. So she, there's only two spots instead of the four. Normally they have four. So it's pretty frustrating. But that disappointment lit her lit a flame in her, she says. And plus, for the first time, she started getting recognized, you know, mm-hmm. um, by other athletic hopefuls. You know, as the Olympic fencer who wears a high job. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Being she, a role model for And she's sweet because she politely explains that she's not really on the Olympic team. <laughs> Uh, and she describes a time when, you know, a young girl's asking for a fo- for an autograph. And she's like, I want to be just like you and Aww. go to the, the Olympics. And I, those interactions with the young fans made her more determined to go to the 2016 Olympics. Even not, if her teammates were not very nice. Even though her she teammates were nice. Girls, yeah. But she, I think she felt, not just for herself, but yeah, for these young girls. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2013, she won her first individual medal at World Cup. And then she gets a call from Hillary Clinton's office asking her if she was interested in serving on the Department of State's Council to Empower Women and Girls. I mean, I got goosebumps when I read that. As a council member, Abit Tahaj would travel different parts of the world and share her story and encourage women to pursue their dreams. I'm just so curious now of what as to what that even is. I want. Well, go. I think she goes and talks to schools. Mm-hmm. And but is it through each, um, like, does each president have one that they appoint or? You know, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm just sure. curious with each yeah. administration if it's right. different. Well, and the other people that, like she said, she'd be joining the trailblazing ranks of, like, mm-hmm. Mia Hamm and Billie Jean mm-hmm. King as well. Um, so, of course, she accepted, which is pretty impressive. She's doing that as well. Now we're training. <laughs> we're doing that. We're, you know, Tell her story. I, I don't know. Such a new teacher. I don't know how she did it. Also, during this time, she launched a modest-focused clothing line. Mm-hmm. Now, she had trouble finding modest dresses. As she's going out and doing these, you know, the spokesperson and talking to these groups, she, didn't, she had to look online and often pay more Mm -hmm. for something. So her brother, who lived in L.A. at the time, you know, kind of got her connected with some fabric and sewing (laughs) connections. She wasn't doing enough. No, she wasn't doing enough. So I'm going to do that, too. Mm -hmm. And then her mom, her aunt, helped her with some financial backing. They started with just 10 items, and then it grew to more than 50. And I love the name. It's Luella, which is named after her grandmother. Aww. Which is so sweet. And I checked out the clothing line. It is beautiful fabrics, just lovely colors, and it's just long, flowy styles. It's it's really, really pretty. Mm-hmm. But I get why she writes that she's exhausted all the time. But <laughs> So by t- 2015, she's like, I need to put 100% focus on qualifying for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. She stepped up her game, working with a trainer on speed and agility, which helps with those explosive moves that are required in fencing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she still struggled personally with those teammates, which made it work worse because for the first time she's beating one of them. And which it was means they were probably being even meaner. Even meaner. Yeah. And, but it, she, fortunately for her, she had her mom and her sister traveling with her. And halfway through qualifying, she had a setback. She sprained her ankle, and her coach and teammates counted her out. Like, And she proved them wrong. She won against one of her teammates. I loved how her mom, like in the stands, congratulates the teammates, saying, good job. And they didn't respond. I just, I, I would just point this out. Her mom is just the model of kindness. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to understand this treatment, but well, I, I don't think we'll yeah, ever get it. I don't. I mean, yeah. 
This is so funny. She finds out she makes the Olympic team by a Google alert. <laughs> it was just so crazy. So, and back, here's another tie-in back to Michael Phelps. So it was between Abit Tahaj and Michael to who would be the flag bearer for the Rio 2016 Olympics. Um, Michael won the vote, but uh, determined who was carrying the flag in the games. But Abit Tahaj, who was the close second. I And she applauds the U.S. team because... Mm-hmm. The decision to even have yeah. vote a Muslim American woman in a high job, given the time, you mm-hmm. know, the country's anti-Muslim mm-hmm. sentiment. She got to walk next to Michael and the flag, which was very special for her. She was wearing the, the Team U.S. opening games outfit, white pants, navy blue blazer, and a white hijab. I just Aww. beautiful. And she was inspired by people chanting. And, of course, you know, she had her family there for support. She fenced beautifully, although she didn't win individually. And it turned out no one from the U.S. Women's Saber team did well. However, they brought home the gold in the team competition. And I just love how she – there's a picture of her clasping her hands and held them up in triumph um, as they stepped up to the podium together. Sad to know after all of that, the Olympics – Abit Tahaj and her family got death threats because I'm why just because I think because of her religion religion. yeah and so back home in her hometown they celebrated her that year in September with all these fun activities and parade and her family and her were worried about the recent death yeah but it turned out fine I mean and she writes you know it was humbling it was not to just see Muslims or black people just a diverse group celebrating her and I just I love how she says at the end of the book, I knew I had potential to change the world. Indeed, Allah had a plan for me, and I was going to keep writing this to see how far it would take me. I admire this young woman's persistence to keep pursuing her dream of being an Olympic fencer, no matter the setbacks, and having a huge impact breaking the mold. I just, well, and how people were so mean to her. Yeah. And she just And she was always quiet and yeah. poised, you know. I love her relationship with her family and their values and commitment to their faith. Uh, it just struck me throughout the book, regardless of the situation, she was just carried herself so well. You know, personally, I wasn't familiar with fencing or the Muslim faith prior to reading this book, and I have deep respect for both. I can totally see why we were on the same way yeah. with this book, because, yeah, it sounds like a really good, really good story. It's really good. We'll have information about this podcast on our website at tangentialinspiration.com. You can be the lead in your own life. Carrie Walsh. So you know that runners inspire me. Every shape, size, speed. My wild woman calendar (laughs) that I keep quoting introduced me to a lady named Julia Hurricane Hawkins. Wow, that's a fun name. (laughs) No, they, they added the hurricane, obviously. But at the time the calendar was printed, she was 103. Oh, man. And she's now 104 and still breaking records. She currently holds the world record for in the 100-plus category for the 50-meter dash. Wow. She seriously started running at 100. Holy moly. Like she just, That's incredible. That, she was like, I'm 100. And she cycled also at 100, but she's since dropped that. But. Um, when she was interviewed, she noted that she wants to inspire people that you, quote, still be doing it at this kind of age. I just love her oh, spirit and enthusiasm. So awesome. She has like a little, they call her hurricane. She has a little flower oh, behind her ear and she wants to be called the flower lady or something related to that. She gardens to Aww. stay in shape, but it's just an adorable story. But then, Amy, you sent me the clip with Jon Stewart promoting oh, yeah, yeah. a run in New York. 
And as if I couldn't love John Stewart anymore, he was promoting and participating in Hope and Possibility run in Central, in Central Park. The short video made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I love his self-deprecation because he was noting that he's been training for two years. That's why people haven't Aww. seen him. Aww. It's like, I'm going to be walking real slow. Yeah. But um, it made me curious about the cause. And the run is actually organized by Achilles International. They're a group that encourages people in all shapes, sizes, and abilities to get out there, walk, run, roll, or do whatever to the finish line. So volunteers help those with challenges, um, either pushing them or yeah. as a guide to accomplish events that they might otherwise not be able to do. It oh. might be out of their reach. So I love that their focus is to just get out there and help other people with physical impairments to prove to mostly to themselves that they can do it yeah. and they can get across the finish line. All heart. In looking at that program, I discovered that George W. Bush... Gave it a little promotion. Oh. Which there's some relay called Achilles Freedom Team. They have uh, wounded, ill, or injured veterans. They've covered the first 400 miles of the resilience relay. The relay started June 26th in Charlotte, North Carolina, okay. and they finished July 9th in Central Park. So the day oh. before the run that John Stewart did, which I just, I, I thought was super, I mean, obviously they're affiliated, but very cool. Yeah. George W. noted that everyone can learn from the resilience and determination of our American soldiers. Demonstrating bravery on the battlefield, they often return home with injuries both visible and invisible. I love that he's bringing much-needed attention to the cause. And I discovered that he hosts a 100K mountain bike race. Well, mountain bike, mountain bike ride, excuse me, for wounded veterans called Warrior 100K. Oh, that's so cool. That's cool. awesome. So these were just extra finds that I yeah. came across in cool. my my rabbit hole. But, <laughs> Those are um, fun rabbit holes. It is. I, I just good fun finds. And so thank you for sending me the one on John Stewart. Um, the person I was planning to cover this week is a woman named Anne Mellon. A gentleman at work told me that I needed to watch her TED Talk, that I reminded him of her. So, of course, slight anxiety because it just made me worry that maybe he was giving me a compliment. Maybe he was giving me some shade. But I kept saying I'd watch it and then I'd forget or any number of excuses. But finally, after about a month, I, I finally watched it. And oh, my gosh. I will know that I'm in no way worthy at all to be compared to this woman, but I'm super excited that he turned me on to her. Yeah. Anne adored her father growing up. They were close. He had battled a drug addiction, alcohol addiction as well, when she was younger, and he had beat it. And then when she was a teenager, they found out that he had a new addiction. He he had a gambling problem. So her life, as she knew it, was turned upside down. The family owed money that they didn't have, and the parents ended up getting a divorce, which was heartbreaking for Anne to see her father, you know, just being so beaten down by life. And how, I think, too, how her mom was reacting to the whole thing. But I won't go into the whole story because I think everyone needs to go watch her TED Talk. And I don't... And please don't take a month to do it. (laughs) But during her morning runs, she kept passing by this homeless shelter. And these guys wave and tease her and ask if she runs all the time. Okay. And she'd be like, she'd tease them back and be like, are you standing around here all the time? And it just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And she kept, she saw her dad in these broken, these happen to be men. Yeah. Um, And she decided to start a running group with them. 
that's so, cool. Very cool. But she contacts the shelter and tells them her idea. And they nicely say that homeless people don't run. So she, I mean, just period. They don't run. It was just, she could try it, but it was not going to be successful. So thank goodness Anne didn't listen to them. She decided to give it a try and she got the group started. They had to sign a contract that they would show up. Like, I think it was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings at six in the morning. No excuses. Right. She was like, I, I she didn't. business. Run. She was all business. They couldn't be late. They had to show up every day. She did, just didn't allow them to make excuses, and that's exactly what they needed. These guys excelled and exceeded her expectations. Aww. They were so excited to watch their mileage. She, like, marched their mileage on a tag board type of thing that she had made, and so they kept competing with that. And when they were running, they didn't seem, you know, they didn't have the homeless stigma attached to them. They were real people, again, with real goals and passion. And they were just runners out there. That ambition to excel carried over into other areas as well. She expected a lot out of them. And they met those expectations because she believed in them. Right. She ends up, I I won't tell you the whole story because I want everybody to go watch her TED Talk. She started a nonprofit called Back on My Feet, and they now have logged in 950,000 miles. Whoa. The homeless people that she's helped, 7.5 thousand. Oh, my goodness. Have gotten employed or found jobs. Wow. Or both. That's awesome. And 83% of those still maintained employment. Oh, my goodness. This. That's so, so great. Like, the program is, she's no longer the CEO, but still, it's... That is all sorts of amazing. So once again, her name Ann Mullum. Okay, and it's I'm back on my check, feet. It's I'm a TED talk. So good. Yeah. So Amy, quick yeah. five questions to get to know you better. Mm-hmm. I love these. What sport did you try as a kid and fail at? Softball. I remember I jammed my finger. <laughs> I'd only tried it for a little bit. Once I jammed the finger, I'm done. <laughs> I remember some softball pictures. I was like, oh, but I really don't remember playing softball. Yeah. So I, I probably am up there with you. <laughs> um, do you have a celebrity lookalike? Well, okay. So I, was, I asked my youngest, Ellie, who she <laughs> thought. She said, Edna. Kids are always, kids okay, always on this. This is going to be funny. Edna Motes from <gasps> The Incredibles. Yes. She's like, because of the bob and yeah. because I'm kind of a. <laughs> no know, cape. No, no cape. Yeah. Um, besides keys, wallet, your cell phone, is there something you never leave home without? Well, that really covers it. I'm kind of a minimalist. I don't even have a purse sometimes. So that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. So no, there isn't anything. Nothing else. You, co- you covered the list. <laughs> okay. Um, what blog or website are you embarrassed to admit that you like? I don't know. I, Pinterest? But it's not that embarrassing. <laughs> But I can spend a lot of time yeah. looking at that. I and I know it's a little, that's kind of, it's pretty, you know, It sucks you in. Yeah, it does. Um, which Disney story can you most relate to? Okay. Well, again, I asked her and she said, oh, mom, you're like Snow White because you like to clean and I've got, <laughs> I've got the bob and, and I'm kind of fair skinned. Oh, yeah. You can see so. that. That's awesome. I just never give up. I fight to the end. Serena Williams. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangential 
inspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.